Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. With us, and today we have a missionary with us. In fact, uh, this, this couple is someone that we met months ago. I came back and shared a story of how your generosity allowed us in a spur of the moment uh, to respond to the Holy Spirit and write them a $1,000 check to help them get their ministry moving and what God was calling them to do. And, uh, and we did that, and then we had lunch with them and found out we really liked them. And uh, so that, that's always awesome whenever that happens. And uh, anyway, they just moved here a couple days ago, and they, made, they wanted to make a plan to be here with us at Simple Church uh, to, to kick off their new journey here uh, in Ohio as they are called to be missionaries to the Ohio State. Would you please welcome Kenji Kuriyama as he comes to share his journey and what God is doing. Hey, good morning. How are you? If you love Jesus, let me hear you say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love Jesus, too. Um, thank you so much for having me today. Oh, H. Yes, awesome. Again, my name is uh, Kenji Kuriyama, and my wife here, uh, Sierra, she, um, her and I were the, the, the new fully appointed Chi Alpha directors at the Ohio State University. And I'm excited here to share my vision and the dreams that we have for uh, Ohio State Chi Alpha. So I want you to imagine an international student walking around the campus of OSU. He's here to get a degree. He has left everything at home to pursue better opportunities. It's his first time living in America. Everything is big in America. He's, am- he's amazed at how big universities are, malls, streets, cars, meals, desserts, everything. And he's wondering why they keep bringing refills for the Coke that he's only um, drank like half of it. So everything is big. America is amazing. It's new and exciting, but it's also overwhelming. There are problems, too. Once school starts and the honeymoon stage of study abroad wears off, some things become real. He's lonely. He has a lot of pressure to succeed. He doesn't know the language. He doesn't know the culture. He doesn't know how to make friends. He's homesick. And most importantly, he doesn't know Jesus. His only drive to move forward is his degree and better opportunities. But um, whenever all that wears off, he gets depressed, not knowing what life is about. This is a very common experience for international students, and it's certainly true here at OSU. I was one of those international students. I came to the United States in 2005 to pursue a college degree in music. I am from Costa Rica. I was born and raised there for the first 18 years of my life. My dad is Japanese, and my mom is Costa Rican, uh, so I'm one of 50 Japanese Costa Ricans in the world. (laughs) We're in danger of extinction. Not a lot of those. Um, I went to Louisiana State University when I came here to the United States. But just like the student that I described to you earlier, I became very lonely very quickly. All the friends that I had made in the beginning of school, they were into parties and stuff like that. And although I didn't know Jesus, I wasn't into that type of thing. So I started a friendship with one of my classmates. His name was Jacob Benda. He was part of Chi Alpha at LSU. And one day he invited me to Chi Alpha. 
When I started joining their small group, I realized how much they knew the Bible and how genuinely they prayed and how much they seemed to love the Lord. I observed these Christians for a year and waited until they would show themselves, their real selves. But these students kept proving themselves to me. They knew him, God, like they actually walked with him. They had a relationship with God, something that I had never had before in my life. They also loved me and took care of me. And as someone who struggles with loneliness, that meant the world to me. So I began to pray like they did. I began to read the Bible like they did. I began to close the door of my dorm in a secular university like the scripture said and began to talk to a person I had never talked to before on a personal level. Until one day, I realized how deep my sin was and how wicked my heart was. And for the first time in my life, I realized that I had to ask for forgiveness of my sins and repent of my ways. When I asked the Father to, give me, to forgive me of my sins, for the first time in my life, I felt the presence of God fall in my dorm room at a secular university. I heard the Father speak to my heart directly. He said, I forgive you because my, die, my son died for your sins. I began to weep in my room, but it wasn't sad tears. It was joyful tears of being free from sin. After I got saved from uh, sin, my small group leader, John, he sat me down and asked me if I was interested in meeting with him every week to learn more about the Bible and about the Holy Spirit. So we started meeting every week to learn how to walk with Jesus, <coughs> learn how, to, how I can tell people about the Savior and what he had done in my life. We're in the business of making disciples, but it doesn't stop there. We're in the business of making disciples who make more disciples. Just like John, my Bible study leader, taught me how to walk with Jesus. <clears throat> I began to teach others how to walk with Jesus. I started making my own disciples, and a few years later, I saw that the disciples that I had made started also making their own disciples and then teaching them how to walk with Jesus. Because of the overwhelming joy <coughs> that I felt, excuse me, that I felt not only from following Jesus, but also from making disciples. Thank you. My life has been marked with one mission and one purpose to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I was accepted to grad school in 2009 at Indiana University, but I felt the Lord lead me to give a year back to Chi Alpha at LSU. So I stayed one more year. During that year, I learned a lot about ministry and about what happens kind of behind the scenes in Chi Alpha. And I was growing in leadership skills and whatnot. But most importantly, I learned that year that these meetings exist called area meetings. So in these area meetings, local pastors come together and discuss the different issues. And I was able to be part of one of those area meetings. I knew that the, my, my Chi Alpha director, the missionary, they had to raise monthly financial support to do Chi Alpha, but I didn't know how much the pastors in the local churches supported the ministry. At the end of the year, I got to share my story in front of these pastors, and I got to tell them how grateful I was that they supported Chi Alpha, and then because of their heart for missions, this international student from Costa Rica now walks with Jesus, and he knows that one day he will see Jesus. I was so grateful that they cared for this one soul and I was somehow worth their investment. You see, for some people, giving to missions is simply a charity. It's a luxury. It's a warm feeling 
um, that you feel whenever the missionary comes to speak at their church. But for me, it was my life. It was my eternity. So when those people made their decision to support my Chi Alpha director, they were saving me from the devouring flames of hell. I wish every person who gives to mission knew what kind of impact they're making for the kingdom of God, for individuals, for souls, for international students, and for the lost sheep that are wandering around the university campuses. About four years ago, my wife and I were approached by the area director of Chi Alpha. He sat down with us and asked if we pray about coming to Ohio State. And we're hesitant, but we decided to come visit the campus. And we love Columbus. We pray for the campus. And the Lord began to grow our hearts for the campus. After a few more visits and months and months of prayer, we decided um, to think about becoming the directors of Chi Alpha here. But I wanted to hear from the Lord a word from me that we will be, we're supposed to be Chi Alpha directors here. And the Lord led me to Numbers 13. And you know it's the Lord when he speaks to you to the book of Numbers, because it's a very difficult book to go through. But it's about the story of Joshua and Caleb and the 12 spies that explored the land of Canaan. Most of them were terrified of the size of the people in the fortified cities. Their unbelief and fear destined them to wander around the desert for 40 years. I'm going to be honest with you. Ohio State is big. There are 68,000 people, students at OSU, and it seems that the enemy has built fortified walls in the spirit realm around the campus of OSU. The first time we visited, it was difficult not to be overwhelmed and feel intimidated. But in Numbers 14, 24, it says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. We believe that the Lord is giving us a different spirit. Not a spirit of timidity, but of power. We come in the name of the Lord. As he brought down the walls of Jericho, we believe he will bring down the enemy's walls surrounding Ohio State. Friends, it is not by power nor by might that the lost and unreached students of Ohio State are going to find Jesus, but by the Spirit of God that empowers us to be his witnesses. We're committed to trust not on our abilities, but in the, in the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're committed to make disciples who make disciples. I believe that this, that's the model that Jesus gave us to reach the world. We have strategies and methodologies that will apply, but the main goal is to make disciples who make disciples. We want to care for the international students who need a family and friends, and most importantly, Jesus. We want to raise up future leaders of Ohio and America to know the Lord and know how to walk with him because they're the future of this nation, the future of this world. And we believe the university campus is the most strategic mission field for that very reason. I believe the Lord wants Ohio State Chi Alpha to be a sending ministry. We see Ohio State as a training center for future ministers and missionaries that will one day be sent to preach the, world, the gospel everywhere. But it all begins with one disciple making one more disciple. I'll be a fool to make promises of our ministry. So we haven't started and we don't know what's going to happen. But we commit to work hard and trust in the Lord. But I do want you to see my faith and my vision for the campus. We want big things for this big campus. I ask that um, you would consider partnering with us individually with um, financial support to reach the students at Ohio State. And we're very grateful that as a church you've picked us up 
And also back in January when you gave us that offering, you have no idea how much of a blessing it was for us. So thank you so much. We're about 50% of our goal. And once we get to 100%, we get to go to the campus and start reaching the university students. But we also ask that you would partner with us in prayer. Our support system doesn't exist solely for financial reasons. We believe that every time we go into the campus, we're showered with prayers from our supporters. So I ask that you would join us in prayers for the students at Ohio State. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share with you this morning. May the Lord bless you and your church. Let's reach Ohio for Jesus. Thank you. Man, we need some Jesus at Ohio State. Amen, everybody? Amen. Well, we are going to continue our series today. And uh, uh, as many of you know, I, I have, uh, I've been struggling with, my, with my, some health in my back. And so a friend of mine has uh, told me, Aaron, you know, pray for the strength to stand, but also pray for the courage to sit. So I'm going to sit today. If y'all are okay with that, and if you're not okay with that, I'm still going to sit. You just have to cope. <laughs> deal. But uh, uh, today we're going to continue our series. We are uh, in called the Book of Prayers, and uh, we're also in a season as well, both of them uh, talking about prayer. First, the season that we're in is one called uh, 21 Days of Prayer, and our 21 Days of Prayer, This we're, we're on our last week right now. Today is day 15 of that 21 days. And uh, what we're asking for and during this time is to pick a time every day that you spend in prayer. Get back into the routine of doing it. Back, get back to prayer because during the summertime, we, you, we tend to take time off from work and from our normal routine, and that often re- includes our spiritual routines. And so 21 days of prayer is intended to get you back into the routine of praying, of putting God first in everything. And so, so join us. If you haven't joined us so far, you can go ahead and join us uh, and get the benefit of it. Like just jump in today, tomorrow. Jump in and join us. We're also posting up a daily prayer focus for you as well on our social media accounts. You can find that there. But we also have, uh, for the very first time this year, a morning of prayer. So on Wednesday mornings, we're here in this space. We're gathering together for a live prayer service from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. That's right, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. You say, is God even up at that time in the morning? Yes, he is, and it has been good. Uh, we do it that early so that those of you who come are able to go on to, to work or to school or to whatever else you may have to do for that day. And yes, it is a sacrifice, but I'm going to tell you what, some of the greatest blessings come from sacrifices that we make uh, for, to invest in our spiritual lives. So um, those that have been can tell you that that's absolutely true. And so plan on joining us. This Wednesday will be our last time doing that, uh, 6 a.m. right here in this space. But but we're in this season of prayer where we're kind of we're, we're getting back into the habit of putting God first, but we're also in a series of prayer called The Book of Prayers, and we've been looking at different kinds of prayers that are found in the Bible. And the series is actually intended to help you have the confidence to pray, to help you understand what does prayer even look like. In fact, that's what our, 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 uh, our key verse for the whole series says, pray in the Spirit in every situation. Many of you guys, maybe you you pray over your meals, or maybe you pray in the morning, ask God to bless your day, but there are lots of situations where you can talk to God. This is this ongoing conversation where you have, where you talk to him about, man, that email you've got to send, that text message you're going to respond to, the meeting you're going to be in, the invitation you're going to extend to somebody who just cut you off in traffic, and so on and so on. Every single situation, you can pray first. And so the writer, the author of Ephesians, who is Paul, says, use every kind of prayer and request there is as well. 
And many of you are just only familiar with one kind of prayer, and it's that help prayer. God, help, right? Get me out of this situation. But there are lots of different models, or there are a lot of, lots of different patterns and or postures of prayer that you can take. And so that's what we've been discussing in this series. We've been doing exactly what Jesus did for his disciples. His disciples came to him and said, hey, teach us how to pray. We need to know, how, how do we pray? Because, man, they grew up as Jewish kids, and so they knew how to pray, but they knew there was something different about the way that Jesus prayed. And so that's what they were asking. Teach us how you pray. And so Jesus did that. And, and that's what we're doing in this series is give, giving you some patterns of prayer that we find through the Bible. The first week we looked at the prayer of Moses, which is really just a pattern of the tabernacle. It's the portable church that God gave them. And uh, that's actually my favorite way to pray because it gives you these specific places to stop as you kind of walk through the tabernacle. It's just in your mind. It's not like you, you actually have to physically do that. And then the second week, we talked about the prayer of Jabez, which is a very short prayer that you can pray, or you can spend some time praying on it and, and, and really just explore each one of those topics. But both of these prayers, if you missed that service, can be found in what's called our Pray First prayer guide that you can pick up at our Connect Center. They're free for you. You don't need to buy them, but we would love for you to take them and use them as a resource to help you as you continue to go on your prayer journey and your spiritual journey. Uh, but you can also take a look at those messages and listen to them. They'll be a great blessing to you and help you on that journey. This week, we're going to look at the prayer of the New Testament church. And I have to speak for me, and I know I'm speaking for a lot of you, that, that oftentimes when I approach prayer, I don't really feel worthy of it. Anybody understand what I mean by that? Like, like maybe you don't feel like God is listening, or maybe you don't feel like you're, you've done it right, or that, that even if you felt like you did it right, that it actually made a difference. Or maybe there's some of you that when you, when you pray or you've heard others pray, you feel kind of lost. Anybody kind of identify with what I'm talking about there when it comes to prayer? Like, that's me. I, there was a time, man, I, I got lost in a whole other group of people. And it's one thing to get lost in a group of people that are, that are believers. It's a whole other thing for me as a pastor to get lost in prayer with a whole group of other pastors. And that's exactly what happened. We gathered together uh, for the Reynoldsburg Ministerial Association. We have these meetings where we encourage one another, pray for one another. And at the end, they said, one of them said, let's pray the, the Lord's Prayer together. Ding, ding, ding. I know that one. And so I, I'm like, I can pray this prayer with them. But I don't know what it was, but they all seemed to know the one translation of that prayer from the Bible that I didn't know. And so I was saying all the wrong words. Everybody else is in unison, and I'm just praying all the wrong words. I'm saying our Father, and they're like, Heavenly Father. And I'm like, wow, I'm praying really loud and saying the wrong stuff. And so you know what I did through the whole thing? I watermeloned it. For you, those of you who don't know what that means, it's just mouthing the words watermelon. People can't tell. You don't know what the words are. So you just be quiet and just sit down and say, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. <laughs> Makes it look like you know what you're doing. Anyway, you just fake it till you make it. Or, or if you're not going to make it, just fake it like I did. So, but, but we can feel lost in prayer. And, uh, and, and I know none of us want that. None of us want to feel lost. We want to feel confident, not lost. We want to feel effective, not ineffective. We want to feel like God is listening, not like we just talked to the air. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it look like? Because there, it is possible for us to pray prayers that are effective, that make a difference. In fact, it's found in, our, in James chapter 5, verse 16. The answer to this is here. And you guys are familiar with this verse. I talk about it a lot, and we talk about it within the context of our grow groups, which, by the way, are now available for you to view on our website or on our app. 
You can take a look at them uh, this week, and next week you'll be able to sign up for them. Uh, but, but we talk about this within the grow groups. We say, confess your trespasses one to another, right? Well, we, we talk about that, and if, you're, if you grew up Catholic at all, you understand this. You understand the model of confession. You're not confessing to them for forgiveness because forgiveness is between you and God. Jesus paid the price for that. No, you're confessing to one another and praying for one another so that you may be healed. Healed from what? Good question. When we sin, when we go wrong, when we transgress, step over the line, miss God's best for our life, it's called sin. And when we do that, it damages us. It damages us internally. It makes a mark in our relationships. It makes a marks in our, marks in our hearts. And we need to be healed from interacting with and, and submitting to sin. And so the way you find that is by sharing. Man, I messed up this week, and I need you to pray with me so that I don't get caught in this sin anymore. And so that's the first part of the verse. And we talk about doing that within relationship, and that's really important, but that's another message for another day. The rest of the verse says this, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That means it makes a difference. I like that. And I want to pray prayers like that. But if you're like me and you read a verse like this, it says the prayers of a righteous man. Now, not like a righteous dude. I don't mean like that. I mean like a righteous man, somebody in right standing. And I don't know about you, but I still make mistakes. And I don't often feel like I'm in right standing. But that is not correct. It is not based on my righteousness or my doing right. This verse is speaking to a righteousness that has to do with Jesus. See, when we become Christ followers, when we place our faith in him, the Bible says we put, him on, put Christ on kind of like a robe. So we're in him. That, that way, this, this is speaking to the righteousness we have is the righteousness of Christ. So for those of you that disqualify yourselves when you see verses like that, you are not disqualified. And I think that's good news. For someone who's in right standing, if you're a Christ follower, that's you. So it says, if you are, uh, excuse me, it says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man, that's you, makes a difference. So can we pray prayers that will be effective? Can we pray prayers that will accomplish something? And the answer is yes, and I know that I need to pray effective prayers. We want effective prayers. We want effective things in our lives all over the place. In fact, if you look up the definition of, of effective, it simply means successful and producing the desired result, right? In other words, it works. It's effective. We want effectiveness in every area of our lives. We want our alarm clocks in the morning to be effective, right? We don't want it to ring whenever it, it wants to. We want it to ring when we need it to. We want our deodorant to be effective so we can never let them see us sweat and never smell us coming either, right? We want our debit cards to never fail, right? It's so frustrating to have money in the bank, and they, yet they bring your card back and say, I'm sorry, your card's not working. That's embarrassing. We want our phone to always let us stay connected to people so that we can talk to them. We don't want it to fail. We want things to work. We want it to be effective. There's nobody I know who has ever come to me and celebrated something that didn't work in their life. Like, hey, this phone, it never charges. It's always on 1%. Every call is disconnected, and every text message I try to send, it says, error, it won't go through. <laughs> it's awesome. You should get one. Like, nobody does that. We don't celebrate ineffectiveness. In fact, we pursue effectiveness. And when it comes to prayer, something that might already be something that's a little iffy for us, 
something that we might already feel like, man, it's awkward kind of talking to the air like this. Is God hearing us? We're unsure. Maybe you've never done it. If we do it, we want to know that we're being effective at what we do. And James says there is a way for us to be effective. There is an effective, fervent prayer that we can pray that makes a massive difference. And we need that. Not only do we need that, our families need that, our marriages need that, our kids need that, our communities and the world needs us to pray effective prayers. When you look at the Bible, there are all kinds of stories of people that prayed effective prayers. And we're going to look at one of those stories today to see what they did. How did they pray? What can we learn from them so that we can pray effective prayers? Uh, Today, we're going to look at the story from Acts uh, chapter 12. And uh, just some context for this. Jesus has already come. He's already died on the cross, rose from the dead, and already ascended back to heaven and commissioned his followers to go out and tell everybody about him. And that's what they've done. Man, they've received the Holy Spirit and they've gone out. Thousands of people are getting saved. Many people are getting healed physically. God's doing something awesome. And the religious leaders are upset just like they were when Jesus was there. And they're trying to squash this new Christian movement. And so it says about this time, uh, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword And when he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And Peter, by the way, is the leader of the New Testament church. It says, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. But that's just Passover, by the way. It says, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So there's 16 soldiers guarding one guy. And this is likely because they knew what happened to the dead body of Jesus how Jesus rose from the dead. And of course, the story is for them is that somebody came in the middle of the night and stole it. So they said, we ain't taking no chances with this Peter guy. We're putting 16 soldiers around him. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. Now, I think it's interesting that the Greek word used for this, because your Bible's written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New, and it's translated into English, The Greek word used here is the same usage for the word in James 5 that is for fervent. So fervent equals earnestly, all right? So they're they're praying fervently for, for Peter, okay? Praying to God, and they're gathered together praying and asking God to move on Peter's behalf. And it says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Now, here's the deal. If you ever read your Bible, there's one thing you're gonna learn about Peter. That dude is always sleeping, There's not a nap he's met that he didn't want to take. You know what I'm saying? And being a guy who enjoys naps, I like Peter. I'm with Peter on that. In fact, I can pretty much sleep anywhere in my old age. I'm 40. Hi, how you doing? I I can take a nap pretty much anywhere. If I sit still long enough and get comfortable enough, I'm going to pass out. I did it in Honduras after we ate this big meal. Check this out. This is sitting right in the middle of uh, of, of the restaurant. There was just this chair, just like this one over there. And I saw it from a distance. I was already full, had some tortillas in my belly. It was good. And I walked over to that chair and I smashed a little nap. Now, of course, what happens when you sleep in public like this is people take pictures of it or they do this. Yeah. (laughs) They go ahead and get a selfie in in a very unflattering pose. That's my wife right there. Isn't she sweet? She is pretty though. I like her. I'll keep her. 
So Peter's in here sleeping. Take that picture down. Peter's sleeping. Let's go back to the verse. He's sleeping between two soldiers, and he's bound with two chains. Now, that, that ain't the wrapper for all you young people. That's, that, that's actually like metal chains, all right? <laughs> and, and these sentries stood guard at the entrance, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Now, here's what you need to notice. The light comes on, but you'll read in the next verse, Peter's still sleeping. Come on, can I get a witness out there, all you heavy sleepers? Lights can come on, everything can be happening around you, and you're still sleeping, right? That's Peter. It's because the verse says that the angel struck him on his side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. The chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put your clothes on and, and sandals. And Peter did so. He said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. Peter thinks he's dreaming at this point. He's sleeping so heavy that he's just enjoying it. He doesn't know the difference between waking and asleep at this point. He thought he was seeing a vision, the verse said. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for them by itself, and they went through. And when they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt. How is it when an angel leaves, he knows? <laughs> All right, Peter. He knows without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued him from Herod's clutches and everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And with this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And these people that were gathered had been there praying all night for him, praying fervent prayers, effective prayers. And check it out. Watch what happens. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door. All right, Rhoda, I see you, girl. She's super excited that she just runs away from it and runs, tells everybody, hey, everybody, Peter's here. My dogs do this. When I get home, they get so excited that I'm home, they start spinning in circles and running laps in the house. They done forgot why they were excited and eventually come back to it and realize, right, it's because dad's home. And they come back and start licking me and pawing me again, making little noises. They want me to pet them. Rhoda, she's excited. She goes back and tells everybody, Peter's at the door. And they said, you're out of your daggone mind. That's Aaron's translation there. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, I like that this is in here. This really just puts our humanity on display. Because I don't know about you, but a time or two, I've prayed for some big things. Some big things that I wasn't sure God was really going to answer. And he did. He came through. And, and when he does, you're just like amazed. These guys were amazed that God had answered their prayer. Sometimes I, I got some doubt in my heart that God will answer the prayer the way I want him to or the way that I, I need him to. And so I'll, I'll like negotiate. Like I'll meet him in the middle. Like, God, I, I know you can do this, but if you'll just do this. Like, right, because I, I'm, I forget. I forget that God is the God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ever ask or think. I forget that he's the God of the impossible and doubt creeps in. But I'm thankful that just like with these guys, that because I've got a little bit of doubt, it doesn't disqualify me from God being God and doing what he's gonna do and answer that prayer. I, that's just encouraging me, encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you. But check out how the, Peter, how the story continues. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. 
Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Fervent, effective prayers. So today we're going to talk about how do we pray fervent, effective prayers. Because those kind of prayers avail much. They make a difference. It made a difference in Peter's life, and I believe it'll make a difference in your life as well. And as we look at this, I, I need to be quick because I know our time is dwindling here today. So I'm going to talk fast and y'all listen quick, all right? There are five ingredients to this effective prayer that we see play out here in this story. And uh, if you're taking notes, here they come. If you're not taking notes, here they come too. The following ingredients you need to understand were things that happened in them primarily that happened through them so God could do something for them, all right? But understand the first ingredient of effective prayer that we see here was pain. And there was something that was painful for them. It was the loss of their friend Peter. And for you and I, man, when pain begins to happen in our lives, whether it's a physical pain, an issue that arises, drama that starts, circumstances that occurs, whatever it may be, when pain sets in, prayer becomes our best friend. We, we start to pray. Check out what David said. David said, in my distress, in other words, that's his moment of pain. I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came before him into his ears. Now listen, that's something right there in and of itself, that when we pray, God's listening, that he hears our voice, and that he's looking to respond to that. But what you need to understand that David understood is that in the middle of the chaos of his life, that chaos was the catalyst for him to learn to lean in to who God is. We used to sing songs in the churches that I grew up in. It's an older song. It's, oh, for grace to trust you more. Well, listen, trusting God is, is easy to do when stuff is going okay. It's when stuff turns into a mess that we learn to lean into our relationship with God. We get to know him better. And we learn to trust him. Some people say, why would God allow that in my life? He's a jerk. He's a big meanie. He could do something about it. Listen, I don't think God is the one that brings pain in our lives. I think we live in a fallen world where stuff happens. Some bad stuff happens. I think God will allow it into our life, but he does that for one reason and one reason alone. He's more interested in your character than he is your comfort. That, that what James says in the beginning of the letter that he wrote, he says, count it all joy when trials and tribulations comes your way. Why? Because God's at work. He's doing something in you. He, he's molding something in you. And if it's solely there, to draw you closer to him, then that pain is not a problem. It's a praise. That was so good. Somebody should be writing that down. Tweet that out. Pastor Aaron said, pain isn't a problem. It's a praise. All right. But God doesn't bring us pain. But without pain, you wouldn't have the relationship you have with God. So pain is, number one, is the first ingredient in effective prayer. The second one is passion. James 5.16 says, effective, fervent prayer. Well, that word fervent means having or displaying a passionate intensity. Passion's important. Passion is one of those things that will take you out of your comfort zone. And I think when we step out of our comfort zone, that's where we meet God. Passion will have you walking the floors praying at night. Passion will have you praying when you first wake up over breakfast, at lunch, at every break and interval, at every moment you have a free mental space or break Passion will have you praying about that situation. Passion is important. It makes a difference. 
check out this verse in Hebrews that tells us about how Jesus prayed. It said, during his life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent or passionate cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Man, we need to learn how to pray with passion. Passion is what we need. So pain and passion, the third ingredient that you'll see here from the New Testament church and the prayers that they prayed is persistence. Persistence, that's that stick to And I know that's not a word, but you understand exactly what I mean when I say it, right? It said, I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna stick with it. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to hang in there. I'm gonna be relentless. No matter what, I won't give up. That means like when your marriage, you've been praying for years and it still ain't getting any better, that you're not gonna give up that you're gonna keep on praying, that your kid who's been acting like the devil, you keep praying for him and he acts more like the devil, makes you wanna quit praying because my God, he didn't act like this until I started praying for him, right? But, but keep, be persistent, keep praying. In fact, Jesus told us to pray this way, to be persistent. In fact, in, in uh, Luke 18, it says uh, Jesus is getting ready to tell a parable, but he's telling this parable or this story to encourage his disciples to show them that they should always pray and never give up. That's what the verse said. So he tells the story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. But the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman's driving me nuts. He said, I'm gonna see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Jesus is saying, pray like that. Not that you're bugging God. No, no. He's, he's saying, pray like this woman did. Pray constantly. Because the judge responded, not because he liked her, not because he was afraid that God was going to judge him for not bringing justice in this situation of injustice. No, he did it because she was persistent. I have a buddy, his name is Rocco. And I'll never forget, there was this day I was hanging out with Rocco and his son Hudson. And Hudson wanted something. Rocco and I were hanging out, having coffee and talking, and Hudson kept asking, Dad, can I have this? Dad, can I have this? Dad, can I have this? Over and over again, he wanted, Dad, can I have this? And finally, Hudson gave up and walked away, and Rocco turned to me in this moment, and it was really profound for me. He said, if he had asked one more time, I'd have given it to him. And I thought, isn't that how God is? That if we just ask one more time, maybe we'd have that which we ask him for. That if we would just be persistent, Will we be willing to pray again in the morning? Will we be willing to pray again in the evening? Will we be willing to pray one more time and ask? Pain, passion, persistence. Fourth ingredient of effective prayer is partnership. Now, this one's a big deal. All of them, you'll see, were gathered together and they were praying together. They were praying for one thing, and that was Peter. They were agreeing over it. God, do something. Move on his behalf. Free him from his enemy. And just like they gathered to pray, we should gather to pray too. We need partnerships. It is powerful when we link arms and join together and pray together. Why? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 18, verse 19. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Uh-oh. You mean that there's things that God's got for me that he's asking me to link arms with someone else and pray with them before I can have them? Yup. Absolutely. Man, there are things that God has for you. I think that's the power of our grow groups, right? 
the power of a grow group is you get into a small group and you get into a place where you get comfortable with people. You find yourself a friend, somebody you get comfortable with talking about your pain. And you say, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I need prayer for. This is what I need help with. And you'll find somebody who will sit with you in the dirt. You'll find someone who will be open with you and pray with you, link arms with you and say, man, we're going to agree that God's going to move on your behalf. That's powerful, man. You need to find a friend who knows how to pray God's word over your life. You'll find some freedom that way. So you need a partner because things change when two people touch and agree and pray on anything. So pain, passion, persistence, partnership, and you guessed it, I got one last P for you, the fifth ingredient of effective prayer. And this is the most important one, it's person. It's a person. And it's not just any person. Well, you can link arms and pray with somebody, but it's in whose name that you pray that matters most. We don't pray in Buddha's name. We don't pray in the name of Confucius. We don't pray in, in the name of Shiva or anybody else. We pray in the name of Jesus because there's power in his name. In fact, Jesus tells us that when we're in him, when we're walking with him, he said this, he said, I'll do whatever you ask in my name. In other words, he steps before the Father as your prayer comes before him, and he says, hey, hey, Dad, they're with me. Let them, let them have every bit of favor I have with you. Let them have every bit of permission and grace that I have with you. They're with me. <coughs> he said, I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me, ask, for, ask me for anything in my name, and I'm going to do it. There's power in that name, in the name of Jesus. It makes a difference. There's no name that is given to us on this earth and under heaven that is greater than the name of Jesus. The Bible tells us that at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, that someday, even people that tell you, ah, there ain't nothing to that Jesus thing, someday they're going to bow their knee. And someday they're going to confess. They're going to see him, that he is Lord. His name has power in it. His name has no rival, has no equal, because it's his is the kingdom. His is the glory. His is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. You say, Aaron, how are you going to sneak that song in on us two weeks in a row? Well, there it is. It's the person of Jesus. When we are in him, that power is given to us. That favor is given to us. And so if you're here today and you need a breakthrough in your life, you need to pray effective, fervent prayers fueled by pain and passion coupled with persistence and partnership, but all asked in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. The very first and most important prayer to pray in this space and in this moment is one to our Heavenly Father. And for many of you, you need to know that, that the greatest thing that the name of Jesus offers us is salvation. Salvation, freedom from our mistakes, freedom from our sins. There's probably some of you here in this room today, you've been carrying the weight of your own life and you weren't designed or intended for that.
God made a way so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be unburdened from your sins, so that you could know him and learn how to walk in his ways, which God intended for you from the beginning. And so if you're here today and you need to pray that prayer, to say, God, I want to know you, you do that through Jesus. I'm going to give you that opportunity. And, and for those of you that are going to join me in that prayer, I'm going to need you to respond. I'm not going to have you stand up or come to the front, but just where you are, right there in that seat. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, I need to, I need to get a start on a relationship with God. Some of you, it's a restart. It's a redo. And there's no shame in that. Understand that the greatest part of God's day is when he gets to give you the opportunity to redo. He paid for all of that when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. He loves it. So won't you give him an opportunity to give you a redo, to give you a restart? If that's you and you're in this place and you're ready to do that, you're ready to say that prayer with us here in just a moment, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm gonna do that. I don't care if nobody else in this room does it. I'm gonna do it. I'm going to make that choice today. Amen. Church, we're going to pray together. If you're watching live on camera or you're listening in your podcast or maybe this is just a rebroadcast, I'm not sure where you're at, but you can join us wherever you are. And I believe God's power will meet you right there, that your life will forever be changed. So for those of us here in this room, let's pray together. And everybody prays out loud so that nobody's praying alone. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Come into my life and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.